to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! You got it. You got it. I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Good morning, mutineers. You're tuned in to Labor and Love. And as we always remind you, you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody Well it may be the devil or it may be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody Maybe a rock and roll addict dancing on the stage. Money, drugs at your command. Women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Serve somebody Serve somebody You may be a state trooper It might be a young Turk Maybe the head of some bigger TV network You may be rich or poor You may be blind or lame Maybe living in another country Under another name But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, you are. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. 
Who you gonna serve? Serve President-elect Trump, or are you gonna serve yourself? Are you gonna serve the empire of the rich and the high and the mighty, where they got 180 million? Leaving their job? Are you gonna serve people like you? Go to work every day. Well, it may be the devil, and I may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. You may be a preacher, preacher, spiritual pride. Maybe a city councilman taking bribes on the side. Maybe working in a barber shop, you may know how to cut hair. It may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, you're gonna have to serve somebody Serve somebody Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody Serve somebody Might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk Might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk Might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread Maybe sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody, and you know you do. Every decision, every little decision you make every day serves something, serves somebody. Hopefully it's yourself and the people like you who go to work every day. Hopefully. This is the B. And the reason I'm talking this talk is because this is the Labor and Love Show. This is the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, i.e. a shareholder, an investor, somebody else worked for a dollar they didn't get, their work was ripped off. That dollar was ripped off to them so it could be paid to someone else. 
If you don't have a seat at the negotiating table, you're probably on the menu. Check it out. And last but not least, never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Okay, it's a rainy afternoon here. And I want to play this one by, well, you'll know. I hope you'll know. rainy afternoon song.
from each other. That's what love is for. Don't you let, let nobody drag your spirit down. Tie your spirit let down. So that was our lead-off. We had, of course, Bob Dylan, 
to begin, reminding us always that you got to serve somebody. It's impossible to just live your life and live your everyday life without serving the empire or serving your community of working people. So choose. Every day you choose. This is the Labor and Love Show. We're coming at you from 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida, from a really unique place here, Mutiny Radio. We've got uh, art. We've got comedy, one of the hottest comedy scenes in the city, in the area. Under the leadership of our own Pam Benjamin. We've got art installations. We've got live music. We've got live interviews. We've got radio. Social justice radio for the Bay and beyond. And now we've added something new. We're looking for plays. Short one-act plays that can be performed in our performance space here at Mutiny Radio. Come come on down and check it out. <clears throat> if you're a budding playwright, this is the place to do it. Uh, not often that writers get solicited like we're soliciting works here at Mutiny. What do we got for you today? Well, we've got a couple of examples of people who stood up to the empire. Uh, it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up. If you don't stand up, you'll get counted for sitting down. Even if you want to be on the fence, you can't do it. Either you're standing up or you're not. We've got Fred Korematsu. I, I happened to read a book this week by, about Fred Korematsu, an excellent book for kids called Fred Korematsu Speaks Out. Um, Paul Robeson is on the menu for today. Robeson and his testimony before the House Committee of Un-American Activities. Un-American. Un-American. There's a way to be American and a way to be un-American, I suppose. Uh, when do you get, who gets 180 million for uh, quitting their job and going to work for the government? We'll find out. A crisis with the San Francisco City employees system because some of the members want to tr change the uh, benefits over to uh, change the fund that is over to hedge funds to manage it like a hedge fund in other words it can fluctuate go up and down uh, it would move from a benefit defined benefits where you're guaranteed a certain amount of money for the rest of your life to defined contributions that means you put in the same amount every month and someone invests it for you. A lot of nerve, huh? 2008 didn't convince them. Okay. 
How many workers every day die of job-related causes or occupational diseases? And the furor over a song. Uh, as we know, the Donald has been having a hard time uh, finding people to perform at his uh, inauguration ceremony. Um, someone, one of the singers in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir said she wouldn't go and sing. She was blasted on Fox News or maybe CNN uh, because, whoa, you know, she'd go and sing for Obama, but not for Trump. Well, it turned out she hadn't sung for Obama. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir was not invited to sing for uh, Obama. So he was seriously off base. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would like to play... I would like to play some songs by Paul Robeson. And a um, little background first. Uh, Robeson was uh, raised in New Jersey. He was the child of uh, former slaves. He uh, was brilliant athlete and scholar in high school, received a four-year scholarship to Rutgers University in New Jersey, and uh, developed into, he was a lawyer, he was a, a singer, an artist of international renown. Um, he was an actor, and he played different roles, of course. He didn't just get Othello all the time. Um, and perhaps most important, uh, he was an outspoken enemy of the apartheid system in the United States. Uh, the racist terrorist, you know, uh, or <clears throat> repression of his people, African-American people in the United States. Um, he did, he did uh, take up the, the challenge of speaking out all over the world for working people all over the world. So we're going to play a couple of songs of his. This one is called Song of the Volga Boatman. Uh, it's a Russian song and, uh, in honor of people everywhere, Paul Robeson. <laughs> Once more, boys, and yet one 
I saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he
Okay, uh, let's listen to Robeson now. Uh, when he was called before the <clears throat> so-called House Committee on Un-American Activities. Un-American Activities. A strange construct, grammatical construct, uh, similar to uh, premature anti-fascist. That's someone who believed in... Uh, workers' rights and democracy and unity all over the world before you were supposed to. <clears throat> you weren't supposed to be an anti-fascist, uh, oh, I don't know, before the 30s, certainly not in the early 30s. Anyway, this is Paul Robeson testifying before the House Committee of Un-American, quote-unquote, activities. Um, well, at, at issue was a statement he made that uh, he didn't think African Americans would fight in a war against Russia. But, uh, Mr. Robson, do I have the privilege of asking who's addressing me? I'm Richard Aaron. What is your position? I'm director of the staff. Did you file a passport application in July 2, 1954? I filed about 25 in the last few months. In July of 1954, were you requested to submit a non-communist affidavit? Under no conditions would I think of signing such an affidavit. It is a contradiction of the rights of American citizens. Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Oh, please. Please, please. Please answer, will you, Mr. Robeson? What is the Communist Party? What do you mean by that? Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Would you like Party? to come to the ballot box when I vote and take out the ballot and see? Mr. Chairman, I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question. You are directed to answer the question. I invoke the Fifth Amendment and forget it. I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question whether... If he gave us a truthful answer, he would be supplying information which might be used against him in a criminal proceeding. You are directed to answer, Mr. Robson. In the first place, wherever I have been in the world, the first to die in the struggle against fascism were the communists. I laid many wreaths upon the graves of communists. That is not criminal. Chief Justice Warren has been very clear that the Fifth Amendment does not have anything to do with the inference of criminality, and I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Have you ever been known under the name of John Thomas? Oh, please, does somebody here want me to put up a perjury someplace? John Thomas, my name is Paul Robeson, and anything I have to say, I have said in public all over the world, and that is why I'm here today. Mr. Chairman, I ask that you direct the witness to answer the question he's making a speech. I ask you to affirm or deny the fact that your Communist Party name was I John Thomas. I the Fifth Amendment. This is really ridiculous. The witness talks very loud when he makes a speech, but when he invokes the Fifth Amendment, I can't hear him. I have medals 
for diction. Right. I can talk plenty loud. Will you talk a little louder? I invoke the Fifth Amendment loudly. Sir, who are Mr. and Mrs. Vladimir I McKeever? invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Manning Johnson? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know Gregory Kaifetz? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Max Jurgen? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Max Jurgen. Why don't you have oath? these people here to be cross-examined? Could I ask whether this is legal? This is not only legal, but usual. By unanimous vote, this committee has been instructed to perform this very distasteful task. To whom am I talking? You're speaking to the chairman of the committee. Mr. Walter? Yes. The Pennsylvania Walter? That is right. Representative of the steel workers? That is right. And the coal mining workers? That is right. Not United States steel by any chance. A great patriot. That is right. You are the author of the bills that are going to keep all kinds of decent people out of the country. No, only your kind. Colored people like myself. And you would let in the Teutonic Anglo-Saxon stock. We are trying to make it easier to get rid of your kind, too. You don't want any colored people to come in. Could I be allowed to read from my statement? Will you just tell this committee, please, while under oath, Mr. Robeson, the communists who participated in the preparation of that statement? Oh, please. The reason I'm here today, from the mouth of the State Department itself, is I should not be allowed to travel because I have struggled for the independence of the colonial peoples of Africa. The other reason I'm here today, again, from the State Department and from the record of the Court of Appeals is that when I am abroad, I speak out against injustices against the Negro people in this land. That is why I'm here. I'm not being tried for whether I'm a communist. I'm being tried for fighting for the rights of my people who are still second-class citizens in this country, in this United States of America. My mother was born in your state, and my mother was a Quaker. My ancestors in the time of Washington baked bread for George Washington's troops when they crossed the Delaware. My father was a slave. I stand here struggling for the rights of my people to be full citizens in this country. And we are not. We are not in Mississippi. We are not in Montgomery, Alabama. We are not in Washington. We are nowhere. And that is why I am here today. You want to shut up every Negro who has the courage to stand up and fight for the rights of his people for the rights of workers, and I have been on many a picket line for the steel workers, too. And that is why I'm here today. Would you tell us whether or not you know Thomas W. Young? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Thomas W. Young is a Negro president of the Guide Publishing Company. I'd like to read you his testimony, quote, Paul Robeson has no moral right to place in jeopardy the welfare of the American Negro to advance a foreign cause. In the eyes of the Negro people, this false prophet is unfaithful to their country, and they repudiate him, close quote. Do you know the man that said that? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Now, can I read my statement? It is a sad and bitter comment. While you were in Paris in 1949, Mr. Robeson, did you tell an audience the American Negro would never go to war against the Soviet government? May I say that is slightly out of context. May I explain to you what I did say? I remember the speech very well. 2,000 students who came from populations that would range to six or 700 million people asked me to say in their name that they did not want war. No part of my speech in Paris says 15 million American Negroes would do anything. I said it was my feeling that the American people would struggle for peace. And that has been since underscored by the President of these United States. 
Afghanistan passing. I said, Do you know un- any people who want war? Listen to me. I said it was unthinkable to me that any people could take up arms in the name of a man like Senator Eastland of Mississippi against anybody. Gentlemen, I still say that. This United States government should go to Mississippi and protect my people. That is what it should do. I lay before you, sir, an article. Quote, I am looking for full freedom, unquote, by Paul Robeson in The Worker. July 3rd, 1949, quote, I said it was unthinkable that the Negro people of America or elsewhere could be drawn into war with the Soviet Union. I repeat it with a hundredfold emphasis, they will not, close quote. And gentlemen, they have not. It is clear that no Americans are going to go to war with the Soviet Union. While you were in Stockholm, did you make a little speech? I made all kinds of speeches. Let me read you a quotation. Let me listen. Do so, please. I am a lawyer. It would be a revelation if you would listen to counsel. In good company, I usually listen. But you know, people wander around in such fancy places. You said, Mr. Robson, and I quote, I belong to the American resistance movement, which fights against American imperialism, just as the resistance movement fought against Hitler. Just like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman were underground railroaders and fighting for our freedom, you bet your life. I have to insist that you listen to these questions. I am listening. I quote further, why should the Negroes ever fight against the only nation in the world where racial discrimination discrimination is prohibited and where the people can live freely never they will never fight against either the soviet union or the people's democracies close quote did you make that statement i do not remember but what is perfectly clear today is that 900 million people other colored people have told you they will not 400 million in india and millions everywhere have told you the that. The witness has answered the question. He doesn't need to make a speech. Did you write an article that was published in the USSR Information Bulletin? Yes. Quote, I want to emphasize that only here in the Soviet Union did I feel that I was a real man with a capital M. Close I, quote. I would say... What is your name? Aaron. I am quite willing to answer the question. When I was a singer years ago, and this, this you... We'll have to listen to. I am listening. I am a bass singer, so for me, it was Chaliapin, the great Russian bass, not Caruso the tenor. I learned the Russian language to sing their songs. I wish you would listen now. Mr. Chairman, I ask you to direct the witness to answer the question. Just be fair with me. I ask for order. The great poet of Russia is of African blood. Let us not go so far It is important to explain this. Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in 1934... Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in 1934... Did you make that statement? In Russia, I felt for the first time like a full human being. No color prejudice like in Mississippi. No color prejudice like in Washington. It was the first time I felt like a human being. But I do not feel the pressure of color as I feel it in this committee today. Why do you not stay in Russia? Because my father was a slave. And my people died to build this country. And I'm going to stay here and have a part of it just like you. And no fascist-minded people will drive me from it. Is that clear? You are here because you are promoting the communist cause. I am here because I am opposing the neo-fascist cause, which I see arising in these committees. Jefferson could be sitting here, and Frederick Douglass could be sitting here. Eugene Debs could be sitting here. Now, what prejudice are you talking about? You were graduated from Rutgers, you were graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. I remember seeing you play football at Lehigh. There was no prejudice against you. Just a moment. This is something I challenge very deeply. 
that the success of a few Negroes can make up for $700 a year for thousands of Negro families in the South. My father was a slave, and I have cousins who are sharecroppers. I do not see success in terms of myself. I have sacrificed hundreds of thousands of dollars for what I believe in. While you were in Moscow, Mr. Robeson, did you make a speech lauding Stalin? I can't remember. Have you recently changed what your mind about Stalin? What has happened to Stalin, gentlemen, is a question for the Soviet Union, and I won't argue with a representative of the people who, in building America, wasted the lives of my people. You are responsible, you and your forebears, for 60 to 100 million black people dying in the slave ships and on the plantations. Don't you ask me about anybody. I'm sure you wouldn't want to discuss with us the slave labor camps in the Soviet Union. Nothing could be built more on slavery than this society, I assure you. I would invite your attention to the Daily Worker of June 29, 1949, with reference to a get-together with you and Ben Davis, formerly communist councilman in New York. Do you know Ben Davis? One of my dearest friends, he is a patriotic and American as can be, and you gentlemen are the non-patriots. Just a minute. You are the un-American. The hearing is now adjourned. I think it should be. I've endured all of this and I can. Can I read my statement? No! The meeting is adjourned. It should be. Paul Robeson with, uh, <clears throat> actually that was uh, James Earl Jones and Ed Asner as the uh, congressman uh, who were reading a transcript of Paul Robeson's uh, appearance before the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee. The three songs we played... Uh, Song of the Volga Boatman. <clears throat> the uh, sort of reminds you of Six Days on the Erie Canal. Those guys who are pulling uh, boats and barges uh, from one canal to the next. Then he sang Joe Hill, the famous song about uh, labor poet Joe Hill. Wherever working people organized. It's There You'll Find Joe Hill, which incidentally was sung at Woodstock by uh, Joan Baez. And the last one was the Ode to Joy, Beethoven's Rejoice, Joyful, wind up to the Ninth Symphony about uh, a world of brotherhood and peace and justice. Are we going to get there? You're damned right we will. So let's play some music now. Let's uh, remembering how our country was founded. A little history lesson. You get foodie. Randy Newman. Only have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet. You just sing about Jesus and drink wine all day. It's great to be in America. 
tiger, ain't no mamba snake Just a sweet watermelon in the buckwheat cake Everybody is as happy as a man can be Climb aboard little walk, sail away with me Sail away Sail away We will cross the mighty ocean into Charleston Bay Sail away Sail away We will cross the mighty ocean into Charleston Bay Every man is free To take care of his home and his family You'd be as happy as a monkey in a monkey tree Y'all gonna be an American Sail away Sail away We'll cross the mighty ocean into Charleston Bay Sail away Sail away We will cross the mighty ocean into Charleston Bay Uh, this next song, of course, is controversial. It's always been controversial. From uh, the time it was first sung in 1939 by Billie Holiday. And it popped up again in the news. Um, the Donald is having trouble finding people to perform at his uh, inaugural He's asked a lot of people who have turned him down, including members of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and the Rockettes. Um, he's got a couple people, but he did invite Rebecca Ferguson to sing. And... She's agreed to perform, but only on one condition. This is from Breitbart, the Trump people. She said she would perform on one condition, that she'd be allowed to sing a protest song about slavery. If you allow me to sing Strange Fruit, a song that has huge historical importance, a song that was blacklisted in the United States, uh then she would do it. The 31-year-old burst onto the music scene in 2010 when she was named runner-up on the British reality television music competition, The X Factor. 
the world-famous Rockettes dance troupe, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and teenage opera singer Jackie Avancho are slated to perform at Trump's inaugural on January the 20th. Okay. Uh, it says here that uh, Nina Simone's version of this song was featured on Kanye West's multi-platinum selling album, Yeezus. Nina Simone. And I think Strangefoot deals with things and deals with America, shall we say. Deals with my people and our oppression. I don't quite understand. Yeah, the same thing as you. I mean the same as you. You're right. It deals with America. And the black and white problem, really. Seven feet. Barren, strange fruit. Blood on the leaves. And blood at the Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene. Of the gallant south, them big bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. sudden smell of burning flesh. It deals with America and the black and white problem, really. The ugliness of it, that is about the ugliest song I have ever heard. Ugly in the sense that it is violent and tears at the guts of what white people have done to my people in this country. I mean, it really, really opens up the wound completely well when you think of a man hanging from a tree and to call him strange fruit. Oh. 
Simone commenting on the song, both commenting on the song uh, Strange Fruit and uh, performing it. The controversy is that a uh, British singer who was invited to sing at Donald Trump's inauguration said that she would need to be able to sing that song. Uh, The Trump camp as far as I know, has not responded, uh, nor will they. Um, the song is all about the ugly, vicious racism that uh, Mr. Trump, some of Mr. Trump's followers seem to display. They're coming back into acceptance more and more now. Those ideas. One only need uh, look at what uh, one of Mr. Trump's campaign managers in New York said about the Obamas. Basically calling them monkeys and apes and uh, living in a cave. Horrible stuff. Unnecessary. Okay, you don't agree with Obama, okay, you don't agree with uh, his programs. You don't want everyone to have health care. You don't want a let-up of the uh, immigration mess at the border. Uh, But you don't have to go that way and call such names. It recalls uh, the ugliest part of Jim Crow. So, Nina Simone singing, and we uh, ended that last one with a message to Donald Trump about the way he treats women. 
This was a great Lydia Mendoza, the queen of the border singers in the 30s and 40s who traveled uh, to the labor camps, uh, mostly Mexican uh, workers, and performed, made a name for herself there. Right now it's 11 o'clock and you're listening to Labor and Love. This is the B, and we're bringing you labor news, labor history, labor opinion, all from the point of view of uh, working people. Going to take a little break now. If we can get uh, plugged in here.
Okay, we're back now. This is The B, and you're listening to Labor and Love, the place where we tell you how it is. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. Right now we're going to listen to uh, Workers Independent News, the Win Labor Report. Not hearing any. Oh, okay. One second. One second. Okay, that's better. Here we go. Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. The U.S. Postal Service is ending post office services at Staples stores by March. The American Postal Workers Union protested the program for years as about 500 Staples stores did postal work that post office employees used to provide. The APWU said the Postal Service was trying to privatize the work using workers with much lower pay and worse benefits. APWU President Mark Demonstein says the union stood up against a wrong and won. Responding to a Ford Motor Company announcement that it's canceling a $1.6 billion new plant in Mexico, the UAW said Tuesday, quote, the UAW has long believed that companies that sell in our country should build their products in our country, end quote. Ford said it will cancel that Mexican plant and invest $700 million in Michigan's Flat Rock plant instead. Ford CEO Mark Fields told C that the decision is a vote of confidence in what the company sees as pro-business policies Ford says the company expects from Trump. Well, when we make decisions like this as a company, we look at, uh, first we do what's right for our business, this makes sense for our business, and we look at all factors, including what we view as a more positive U.S. manufacturing business environment under President-elect Trump. 42 non-union workers in the North Dakota Bakken oil field got stiffed nearly three-quarters of a million dollars in wages and other compensation by WCE Oil Field Services going into receivership. Laborers District Council of Minnesota and North Dakota, along with Laborers Local 563, went to work on behalf of these non-union workers. The laborers ultimately got an anonymous oil field investor to pay between three and $20,000 each in partial compensation to the workers, and the union is working on getting more of the wages owed to these workers into their pockets. So why did the laborers' union step up to help these non-union workers? Kevin Prannis is marketing manager for the laborers' union in Minnesota and North Dakota. One of the superintendents for the company had uh, told one of our staff to stay off their right of way and not talk to their guys. So we didn't have a relationship with the workers, but we were really concerned when we heard the story. And the most basic principle for us is a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. And the idea that they wouldn't get paid at all seemed crazy so we felt the need to get involved in this. Republicans controlling Kentucky's legislature and governor's office are making it their top priority to attack worker rights with the so-called right-to-work bill. It makes worker decisions to have a union and a 
contract that requires dues illegal. That undermines unions, which, of course, is the point. Workers chanted in protest outside a hearing on the bill this week. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Okay, Workers Independent News. I wanted to play um, one from the Union Edge here. See if we can find that. Um, Let's listen to Sam Cook.
Sam Cook talking about a change is going to come and it will. And then we had Jimmy Cliff. Remember that one? The harder they come, the harder they fall. Let Mr. Trump take note. We are working people. All we need to do is unite. Just a small percentage of us to unite and refuse and refuse to work, refuse to pay our debts, refuse to go along with business as usual until there is a government in place that takes care of its workers instead of attacking them. But we have to watch now is that companies are not going to move their jobs because they think under Trump it's going to be very profitable. In other words... Union breaking, breaking any form of worker organization that might put pressure on employers to provide jobs that pay a living wage, jobs that are humane, jobs that take into account the worker as an entire person. In short, it's movement time. Las cafeteras.
got it all wrong, so I come to you with a song. In 1810, con el gran grito de pasión, se levantaron con razón. Black and brown fighting together on the day I'll always remember. En el 5 de mayo, con el grito de gallo, black, white, and brown bleeding together on the day I'll always remember. Because really, it hasn't been that long, so just in case Cat Williams had you guessing, let me kick y'all down with a little history lesson. In the 19th century, while the U.S. promoted degradation, annihilation with its military and U.S. Navy, Mexico got rid of the caste system, voted for its first indigenous president, even getting rid of legalized slavery. The Underground Railroad also ran south, which led black folks to freedom, with Mexico right there to receive them. Mexican men with Pancho Villa and Zapata fighting for tierra, libertad y techo with Adelitas on the front line with bullets across their pecho. In the year 1946, it was the Mendez family that fought against segregation in schools. Because before that, they treated us like fools, pushing us out into gangs, wars, and drugs. And then they get pissed off at us when we become crips and bloods, traviesos, zutsuras, pachucos, folkloristas, punks, bomberas, jaraneras in the heat, jaraneras with the bomb as beat, talking about what's really going on in the streets. In the 60s, in the streets of Oakland, California, Black Panthers organized for answers. Young lords in New York fought against wars. The Stonewall Rebellion remained true for the rights of the LGBTQ. AIM, who was down for native rights with no shame in their game. Brown berets in LA learning how to fight and doing what's right. In the campos of California, Filipinos were the first ones to lay down the boycott. Screaming in solidarity, Isang Baksak, one rise, one fall. You come for one, you come for all. And today, Arizona and Alabama, they don't play. Carving out racist laws like it's made out of clay. I stand with Emmett, Trayvon, Oscar, and Bell. With my mentor, Mumia, up in the cell. Telling you I'd rather be blind than to stay quiet on a day where my people are hunt down like prey. My ability to breathe is directly connected to my ability to see. It's not about me, never was, never will be. It's about we. It's time to move, y'all. My people. It's movement time. Finding Neverland, the Broadway musical that's turned critics into believers and brought families together. Sorry, you guys. While I'm scrubbing the floors and I'm scrubbing the floors while you're gawking. And maybe once you tip, man, it makes you feel swell. And I rather want a front than a ready old hotel. And you never guess to who you're talking. You never guess to who you're talking. Suddenly one night there's a scream in the night and you yell, What the hell could that have been? And you see me kind of grinning while I'm scrubbing. 
and you say, what the hell, she's got to grin. And the ship, a black freighter, with a skull on its masthead, will be coming in. Say, hey girl, finish the floors, get upstairs, make the beds, earn your keep here. You toss me your tips and look out at the ship, but I'm counting your heads while I make up the beds, cause there's nobody gonna sleep here. Tonight, none of you will sleep here. Then that night, there's a bang in the night, and you yell, who's that kicking up around? And you see me kind of staring out the window, and you say, what well, she's got to stare at now. And the ship, the black freighter, turns around in a harbor, shooting guns from the bar. And you gentlemen can wipe out that laugh from your face. Every building in town is a flat one. Your whole stinking place will be down to the ground. Only this cheap hotel standing up safe and sound. And you yell, why the hell spare that one? And you yell, why the hell spare that one? All the night through with the noise and to do, you wonder who's the person lives up there. Then you see me stepping out into the morning. Looking nice with a ribbon in my hair And the ship, the black freighter Runs the flag up its masthead And the cheering's there By noontime the dark is all swarming with men Coming off of that ghostly freighter Moving in the shadows where no one can see And they're chaining up people and bringing them to me Asking me, kill them now or later Asking me, kill them now or later Noon by the clock And so still on the dock You can hear a foghorn miles away that quiet of death, I'll say, right now, and they pile up the bodies and I'll say, that'll learn you. And the ship, the black freighter, disappears out to sea, and on it. Is a me. Okay, that's Ladalinia with her version of her husband, uh, Kurt Vile. His song was It's Pirate Jenny, lyrics by Bertolt Brecht. Don't think that as we go about our work, we're just uh, ciphers. We have uh, feelings. As Cesar Chavez says uh, somewhere, we're not rented slaves. We're not tools. 
We are men and women. That was uh, Lada Lenya. Before that, we had Sam Cooke. And uh, look what else we played, huh? Jimmy Cliff, the great Jimmy Cliff, the Jamaican singer. The harder they come, the harder they come, the harder they fall. And all our corporate masters, that 1% or 2%, take heed. You can't keep pushing working people around indefinitely and taking away their rights, taking away their reproductive rights. Let's look at that question. What, what's happening now is the attack on reproductive rights is an attack on working women. So as working men, those are things that we should be protecting too. We should make common cause with our sisters and at least get them the right to decide about their own bodies. Okay, we're around 11.30, and I did want to talk about Fred Korematsu. I did want to uh, honor his memory. Fred Korematsu, the uh, Japanese-American who stood up for his rights during those awful days of the internment when the U.S. turned on its own people again. Uh, this is the Fred Korematsu story. Before the war, my parents were very proud people. They always talked about Japan, you know, and uh, also about the samurais and stuff like that. of Pearl Harbor and the entrance of the U.S. into the war, a lot of people saw that as a perfect opportunity to get rid of persons of Japanese ancestry. Right after Pearl Harbor, everything just, you know, they were just real quiet. They kept it to themselves. They were afraid to talk about that. There had been so much friction between the United States and Japan, and uh, the way Japan was so active uh, going into China and, and doing all that, uh, you know, invasion and so forth, that I, I had a feeling that, uh, you know, they're just crazy enough to come down here. And that's what they did. At the nursery, my parents, they were all around the radio listening. They weren't saying very much. My mother was crying, my father was just disgusted. All that um, uh, work that my parents did to that nursery and so forth, what's going to happen? A few days later, the police came down there and confiscated all the flashlights and cameras. They confiscated everything that they thought that we would use for signaling. The Secret Service and the FBI had swept into the Japanese-American community and had arrested any community leader, uh, any teacher, any civic organization um, head of any importance in that community. 
I thought the exclusion order would be only for aliens and those that are born in Japan. I didn't think that the government would go as far as to include American citizens. If you have the Western Defense Command who was in charge of our movement, if they come at you with a bayonet in your back and say you're going to move into a horse stall, uh, you do. People that we thought were our friends, instead of helping us, they, they wanted to take things that they thought they could use themselves. Uh, that's because we couldn't take it with us. I went to San Francisco, first chance I had, and uh, I talked to this doctor. I just told him that, you know, I've been harassed so much being an Asian that I would like to look more Caucasian. And he says, well, let me see what I can do. So I, I decided, well, I'll take a chance on it. He just slit my eyes, I guess, and, and, uh, and took some of the skin off or something on both of my eyes, and that, that, that was it. It didn't work out right anyway. My mother recognized me, and she knew me right away. Even my girlfriend uh, didn't say too much. You know, I said, well, you look different anyway, you know. I felt uncomfortable as when I happened to glance at a, a newspaper or a newsstand where somebody looking at, and it says, Jap this and Jap that, you know, and all the bad things about the Japanese. I even refused to buy a paper because of that, you know. That was it until, until the time that I got caught. And then one day my girlfriend wanted to meet me. I was waiting for her at the corner and she didn't show up. I ran out of cigarettes. So like a darn fool, I went across the street to the drugstore and someone recognized me, I assume, because when I came back and I was standing there for another five minutes, then the police came and they looked around and looked at me and said, do you see any short uh, Japanese person around here, Asian? I said, no. He looked at me and says, well, let me see your identification. By that time, the two MPs came in the military. And he says, we have to take you to the city hall. After I was arrested, I, I, I never did see my girlfriend again. So there must have been something going on in there, but I didn't know. We tried to find a legal challenge to the internment, but of course, in order to do that, you have to have a test case. So we were on the lookout to find a case of that kind. It wasn't easy until I heard of Fred Korematsu's case in the newspapers. The judge said, since you violated the military order, the bail is $5,000. And to my surprise, Mr. Bessig took out his checkbook and wrote it out without hesitation and gave it to the uh, court. And he says, come on, Fred. He grabbed all of me and start, we start walking out. You can hear our footsteps clunk, clunk, clunk toward the door, and we finally got to the door. And we opened the door, and I said, wow, the sun shining right in our face. And then I looked real good, and there was four MPs standing there. And Mr. Bessick said, we paid the bail, he's a civilian. And they would start pulling out the guns. And Mr. Bessick looked at me, and he said, Fred, you go ahead and go with him. And, 
and uh, I'll keep in touch with you. When the MPs took me to a separate room, well, it was a horse stall, and it was way out on the other side of the racetrack, and uh, they took me there on a pickup. But it was a big door for the then horses in. There's a gap about 12 inches down below. There's no uh, floor, it's just dirt. So the wind was blowing through there, and there's cracks all around the walls, and there's a light bulb up there, one light bulb and, uh, on the ceiling, and that was it. And, and I went there and I lied on the cot and I said, gee, jail was a lot better than this. In 1942, an ordinary American took an extraordinary stand. Fred Korematsu boldly opposed the forced internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. After being convicted for failing to report for relocation, Mr. Korematsu took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. The High Court ruled against him. But 39 years later, he had his conviction overturned in federal court, empowering tens of thousands of Japanese Americans and giving him what he said he wanted most of all, the chance to feel like an American once again. I am a teacher and I brought my class with me and uh, as an impressionable group of young people and you were being described by so many as an activist, is there something you'd like to leave with them or some message that you'd like to have them take away with them? Yes, I would. And uh, uh, to believe on the Constitution and also anything that, 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 that's within rights. If you think you're right and, and uh, Go along with it and, 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 uh, and to fight it, you know, to, to, to not to give in. Like I, I did, I, I knew, you know, hey, uh, it's, it's against the Constitution what they're doing. And, you know, even though, you know, like in here, you know, like I said, hey, what we're doing here is wrong. And I don't hear anything about the rest of them. So maybe they're right, you know, and I'm wrong. But I'm going to find out. So uh, stick to your guns. In the long history of our country's constant search for justice, some names of ordinary citizens stand for millions of souls. Plessy, Brown, Parks. To that distinguished list, today we add the name of Fred Korematsu.
That was a little uh, feature about Fred Karamatsu, uh, who challenged, successfully challenged uh, his internment uh, on a technicality, really. The technicality was not that it was illegal, but that the there was a federal agency that had information that there was no instance of sabotage by any Japanese American or any Japanese national in California. And that that agency knew that it was a lie. The government policy was a lie. The government policy was based on the fact that Japanese nationals and Japanese Americans would sabotage the war effort. And they knew it was a lie. So that his conviction was overturned on that basis. Fred Korematsu, and like he said, stick to your guns. So we're going to all have to stick to our guns here. One last thing before we wind it up. Uh, how Minnesota public employees stood up for paid parental leave. Okay. Many unions agonize over how to get young workers involved at the Minnesota Association of Pro Professional Employees. We did it with a fight over an issue that mattered to young me members, paid parental leave. Three months after we adopted our second son, wrote a member of one of the stories we gathered over the course of the campaign. This is from Labor Notes. I had to empty all the change jars in our house to make sure we had enough money to pay our monthly mortgage. It all began in 2014 when a handful of new members from various locals began brainstorming about ways to improve government. The team gathered information that their union could bring to negotiations. They started by asking co-workers to share a paragraph about their own experiences around the birth or adoption of their children. Eventually, we compiled these stories into a book that, that we distributed to anyone who would listen. Uh, there were strike actions. They invited the governor. Governor spoke warmly about his own experiences. He remembered coming to work as a new father, completely sleep-deprived. Eventually, we negotiated a memorandum of understanding amending all state union contracts to guarantee six weeks of paid leave upon the birth or adoption of a child, retroactive to July 1st, 2015. There are always success stories. People are organizing and winning all over the globe. Remember, if one person works, one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the negotiating table, 
You're probably on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Call out to all of you who work, whether you're paid or not. Call out to the 150 American workers who this day will die of occupational diseases or work-related accidents or illness. Looking around the world, that number is 6,000. 6,000 of our brothers and sisters in other countries are dying every day because of work-related causes, either accidents or mishaps on the job or work-related injuries or conditions like... Uh, Black lung, for example. Okay, so this is the B signing off. I wish you good week and good work. Uh, January 10th was a one-day strike by UC union members of Teamsters Local. Keep your eye on that. San Francisco uh, employed... Retired people, employees, retired people, look out. The uh, hedge funds want to grab that pension of yours, want to grab that $11 billion of what it is and screw your pensioners. Okay, here's Kari Miraji with the Internacional. Keep fighting. The only time we ever lose is when we quit fighting.
of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard, as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I used to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission High vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk. Come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. 
In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Vendor's Bar. Hey, people. This is the Muni Radio Flat Black Plastic Show, where we're going to be highlighting avant-garde string quartets from the United States of America. Starting off with Stefan Volpe, string quartet from 68, 69, and then into Earl Brown from 65. Thank you.
Thank you. 